Hi, I'm Dennis Hester, and I'm the pastor here at First Baptist Church Watauga, and we are grateful that you have tuned in to listen to these messages, either through our podcast or on our website. And as you listen to these, our prayer is that you would hear the Lord speak to you from His Holy Word. If you're interested in learning more about the church, you can get on our website at fbcwatauga.org. From there, there's a place where you can plan a visit, you can learn more about our beliefs. You can also request prayer through the prayer request page. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, We'd love to get to know you. The most important thing that I'd communicate to you is as you listen to God's Word, that you find a place to get plugged into a local congregation, whether it's here at First Baptist or another local church where you live. If you'd like information or would like us to help you find a church home, uh, we'd love to talk to you about that. And you can contact us through our Facebook page. So God bless you as you listen to His Word, and may the Lord encourage you in your walk. Well, thank you, Matthew, for the new song and that you've uh, introduced us to this morning, especially, though, Jeremy, who used three instruments during that song, uh, using his voice, the saxophone, and the keyboard. And uh, amen, added a bunch to it. The, the first service, I had my eyes closed as I was worshiping. I thought, where did that sound come from? And I looked up, and he had a saxophone over there on his neck. So uh, today is... Oftentimes, one of those days, in fact, uh, a couple times a year, where I, I stand up in front of the church and just really brag on you, because uh, this is the time of year, this Sunday would be the, the day after our giant back-to-school rally, where over the past decade, we've had literally over a 1,000 people, a couple thousand people usually would have been on our campus, hundreds of children who had received school supplies, backpacks, uh, all of the, the things necessary for going back to school. And uh, the COVID-19 pandemic had, has made huge uh, changes in how we had to go about that. Our back-to-school rally committee continued to work throughout the year and up until a few weeks ago still had some contingency plans to have some type of back-to-school rally yesterday but just was not able to to, uh, happen. And yet, I want to report to you that that you as a church family, working with a couple other churches and business leaders in our community, still have uh, done a lot to help take care of the needs of the community. What the, the committee did is they met with the principals and just talked to the principals about what is it that you most need to help you get back to school. Because one of our schools is in Keller ISD, Whitley Road Elementary, They didn't need a lot. The Keller ISD was providing school supplies for the kids when they come back to school, and yet uh, they did need a lot of hand sanitizer, and this one kind of tripped me up when I read it when I got the report. Sticky notes. Uh, Our back-to-school rally committee spent $400 on sticky notes for the uh, Whitley Road Elementary. So whatever the principals needed, uh, we sought to help them out with. And then for the other three schools, Grace Hardeman, Watauga Elementary, and uh, Watauga Middle School, we still provided over uh, $4,500 in school supplies along the lines of pencils, crayons, glue, scotch tape, all of those things that were directly delivered to all three schools. Uh, spent, uh, spent about $500 on masks. Uh, to provide extra masks for the schools. Uh, Also, uh, 250 units of hand sanitizer that came from y'all. So even though uh, we weren't able to do things the way that we have in the past, I'm still uh, proud and excited to report that God is using you and many other believers in our community to accomplish his purpose to help our schools as they try to get back to class. So praise the Lord for that, right? Amen. So hopefully... 
Hopefully schools will get back, right? Uh, I know that a lot of parents are hoping schools get back, uh, as well as teachers. Today, we're going to continue our study of the Gospel of John. We are in John chapter 1. We're going to start on verse 19. And in particular, we're going to be looking at a passage uh, teaching on a man who, you know, if I'm going to agree with Jesus, I have to say he was the greatest man ever born of women. Uh, You know, if I were to say, who is the greatest man to ever live? Most Christians would unequivocally say, well, Jesus, of course. Uh, And yet... Jesus himself, the Son of God, uh, I don't know exactly how he understood this, but knowing that he wasn't born, he didn't come to be through a woman, he put on flesh when the, the Spirit placed him inside of Mary. Because Jesus, as we've already learned from earlier in John chapter 1, Jesus was in the beginning. He was creator God. He was already here. And Jesus was here when he was on earth, and he'll be here forever. Jesus is, he was, and he forever will be. And so Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11 says, John the Baptist was the greatest man ever born of woman. And and yet, when you look at the life of John the Baptist and the legacy of John the Baptist, so certainly he has a, a hollowed place in scripture, very few people would point to him and say, he was the greatest. But Jesus did. And I want to explore what John, the author of this gospel, says about John the Baptist's ministry and about John the Baptist's identity. And then, as John points to Jesus, what he's going to tell us about the ministry of Christ. So understand, I want you to hear that. Here Jesus has called this person the greatest man who ever lived. You know what? Wouldn't that be incredible to hear those words? Jesus pointed you out and said, Matthew, the greatest man born of woman. We all know that's not going to happen because John was. So it's out of the way, right? Read with me John chapter 1, verses 19 and following. The scripture says, this was John's testimony when the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, who are you? He didn't deny it, but confessed, I'm not the Messiah. What then, they asked him, are you Elijah? I am not, he said. Are you the prophet? No, he said. Who are you then, they asked. We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What can you tell us about yourself? And he said, I am a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Just as Isaiah the prophet said. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees. So they asked him, why then do you baptize if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet? I baptize with water, John answered them. Someone stands among you, but you don't know him. He is the one coming after me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to untie. All this happened in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he rested on him. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, the one you see the Spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. So I want you to get this picture of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, at this point, had a huge following. 
John the Baptist had been out on the banks of the Jordan River preaching a, a, a gospel of repentance, preaching uh, that, that people needed to repent, they needed to turn from their sin, and they needed to turn their hearts back toward God. John uh, had, had crowds who were coming after him. John had many of his own disciples. We'll find out later on that that John, the writer of this gospel, and his brother, and Peter and Andrew, both were followers of John the Baptist. They ranked among John the Baptist's disciples. And so John had this great following, but, but he didn't let that go to his head. And so what I want you to, to, to notice as we walk through this is, first of all, who was John? Now, when I first started working through this text again on Monday, I really got a kick out of this. I mean, I, I had a hard time getting over it, and I just kept laughing about it. Because here you have these leaders, you know, Jewish uh, the privileged people, the, those who were coming from the Pharisees and the priests and the Levites. Now, these weren't, these weren't the, uh, the leaders themselves. These were their, their minions they were sending out to ask John who he was. And, and you know, I would have been tempted if, if I was Jesus' cousin and I had this big crowd, I'd have been tempted just to let them know who I was. But instead, what John does is he looks at them and the, when they say, who are you? He said, well, I'm not the Messiah. Well, okay. Are you Elijah then? Nope. Well, are you the prophet? Nope. He won't give them a straight answer. You, know, here you have these guys who come with authority, and, and, and John doesn't care. <laughs> John's like, y'all figure it out. You ought to know who I am. You know, if, if you're leaders of the Jews, and you've read your Bible, and you've heard the, the, the proclamation that he was preaching, and you heard what he's preaching, you should have been able to connect him to Isaiah. So eventually, John still doesn't give him his name. He never tells him here that he was Jesus' cousin or any of that stuff. He finally says... Go back and look at your Bible. He said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. He points back to Isaiah and he says, I'm that guy. And I'm not really anybody. I've come to make straight the path of the one who does matter, who is Jesus. And so John, instead of building himself up, he just, he lays it out there. He, John understood who he was. Now, the way I've, I've sought to lay this text out, because, you know, John is, like I said, he's given some strange answers here. How does this help us? What, what, what can we learn from what John has to say? And that's what I want to do with this text. So the first thing that we see here is that John knew who he was. He understood his identity. It is important for us to remember who we are. You know, sometimes when we get a big following, we get a God complex. And we start thinking that we've arrived because we've got people who listen to us. And people, you know, how many Facebook friends do you have? You know, how many people agree with you when you put something out there on Facebook? And we get this idea that, that we've got this following, that, that we're somebody. John remembered who he was. John had a, a, a he was very popular, but he didn't take advantage of his popularity. John had throngs of people following him, but John didn't try to build his own kingdom. John was very gifted in his proclamation. People came from all around to hear his message. And yet John 
didn't try to take personal benefit from the gifts that God had given him to speak and draw a crowd. You know, I, I think there's a whole lot that we can learn from this. I, I think that, that oftentimes people in, in the pastor position get a God complex. They start looking around at all the people that are listening to them, that are following them, and they forget who they are. You know what John understood? He was just flesh and blood. He was given breath and life by God. That's all he was. And without the gift of God, without those gifts that God had given him, he wasn't anybody. And so, no, regardless of how many people follow us, how many people live, uh, listen to us, we need to remember who we are. Second thing that you see from John is he, he knew whose he was. He belonged to God. He, God had sent him and he belonged to the one who sent him. He, he wasn't his own boss. God was his boss. He, he looked to, to the Lord for direction. He looked to the Lord for his message. He looked to the one who was coming after him. We need to remember not only who we are, but whose we are. And for those of us that are sitting in this room, if, if you have put your faith in Christ as your Savior, if you have come to a point in your life where, where you said, you know what, I can't save myself. I've sinned, and because of my sin, I'm separated from God. I, I, I believe what Scripture says, I need the Lord. If you've come to that place in your life and you've given your life to the Lord, you're no longer yours. You're his. We use a word in the Christian faith that speaks directly to that. It's the word redemption. And the word redemption means that someone has paid the price for your sin. They've paid the price for your soul and adopted you into their family. And so we once, Scripture says, we're, we're dying in our sin. We, we belong to this world. We were a child of Adam, a child of this world, a child of darkness. But when you put your faith in Christ to save your soul, he washes you clean with his blood and he brings you into his family and you're adopted by him. You're no longer your own. You're no longer, you, don't no, you no longer belong to this world. You never really were your own. Scripture says you're either a slave to the things of this world or you're a slave to the things of Christ. So you either have, have belonged in, in, to this world and been wrapped up in your sin, or you belong to God. John knew whose he was. And we need to remember whose we are. Who do we belong to? If we're a child of God, we belong to him. He's the one that calls the shots. And then the last thing that John understood here was he remembered his mission. And in fact, he directly tied his identity to his mission. I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the path of the Lord, just like Isaiah said. Now, the Pharisees would have known that. They would have recognized that passage. They would have understood that that was a, a passage that was pointing to a time of the coming Messiah. And John goes on to say, I baptize with water. Someone stands among you, but you don't know him. He's the one coming after me whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to untie. John understood what his calling was. He knew who he was, he understood his mission, and I mean, he understood whose he was, and he also understood his mission. He had a particular calling because he belonged to God. Every single person who has put their trust in Christ, who has been adopted in the family of God, has a mission given to you by God. Now, John knew what his mission was because he spent time out in the wilderness listening. You see a hint to that a little bit later on when he says, you know, God told me one time, the one who sent me told me that one of these days 
I was going to see a guy, I was going to be, he was getting baptized, and I was going to see the, the Holy Spirit descend on him as a dove, and it was going to rest on him, and, and that when I saw that happen, I would know that that was the Son of God. John says, the, the, the one who sent me, he told me that. Well, when did he tell him that? He told him that when he was out in the desert listening. See, if we belong to Christ, if we belong to God, and he's given us a mission, we need to spend enough time with him to know what that mission is. We've got to spend time, maybe not in the desert, but certainly in the closet. We need to spend time in his word, and we need to spend time listening to the calling of God on our lives, because he has called us, and he's given us a mission, just like he did John. We need to understand who we are, that we're just human. We're empowered and gifted by God, but we're only human. We're not in control of anything. We need to understand whose we are, and we need to understand what our mission is. And then you see John talk about that mission. He outlines his ministry in the following verses here. And, and you'll notice that what John does is he just simply comes proclaiming the word of the Lord. It was not John's job to convince anybody. When you read several of the passages, that, that and today I, d I chose not to try to do a biography of John the Baptist and go look at what Matthew said about John the Baptist and what Luke said about John the Baptist. We're going to stick with what John has to say here. But I want you to understand, when you read John's teaching, John had a very particular message. He preached a message of repentance. He told people that you are to repent from your sin and turn back toward God. And the purpose for that was so that they, their hearts would be prepared to receive the message of Christ. Because Jesus was coming with the full gospel. I don't want this to sound bad, but John was coming with a part of the gospel. John was coming with a message of repentance. Jesus was going to come, and not only was he going to declare repentance, he was going to declare salvation and hope and a future and the resurrection. John was coming with a part of the gospel, and John understood that. And John boldly proclaimed his message, but first, he humbly proclaimed his message. John understood that he had a particular calling and a particular mission, and he humbly proclaimed his message. He didn't build himself up. He wasn't tr trying to get his own following. He wasn't trying to build his own buildings or his own kingdom. He just simply was laying out the message that he was told to lay out. And second, he proclaimed that message boldly. And this is one of the things that I like about John, but it's also the thing that got John killed. John didn't care who you were. He didn't care how rich you were, how poor you were. He didn't care if, if, if you were a slave or if you were the king or the governor. He didn't care. He had the same message for everybody. He didn't care if you were not religious or if you were one of the religious elite. Matthew tells us that when the religious elite came to see John, they were going to check him out. They all show up out there, and he looks at him and he says, you're a bunch of brute, you're a brood of vipers. And if you don't repent, God's going to give up on you, and you're going to be cast aside. Repent. And they're going, wait a minute, we're the leaders, John. You can't tell us to do that. John also called out Herod. He, he pointed him out and he said, you're having an affair. Stop it. Well, that got John's head chopped off. But it didn't matter to John. John was simply going to proclaim the truth regardless of the consequences. We, can, we, we need to humbly proclaim the word of God, but we also need to be bold enough not to shy away from it to proclaim the truth of God's word. And finally, the third part of, of John's message was he always pointed back to Jesus. 
John knew that he wasn't their solution. John understood that he wasn't the Savior. Jesus was. John preached a simple message, and he preached it faithfully, and he preached it boldly, regardless of the consequences. Now, I want to pause here for just a moment, because just as John proclaimed truth and humility, you and I have that same calling to proclaim the truth and humility, not in arrogance, because it's not our truth anyway. We didn't figure it out. If you came to faith in Christ, it's because someone told you how you could come to faith in Christ. And you and I have been given a mission, just like John has, to share that message, humbly but boldly. Now, some would say, well, you know, I, I haven't been a Christian that long, or, or, you know, I haven't been to seminary, I hadn't been to college, I, I can't really share the gospel. Well, there's a truism out there that comes from one of my evangelism professors. If you know enough of the gospel to be saved by it, you know enough to share it. If you can, can look your pastor in the eye and say, you know, I know that I'm a sinner, that I've been saved by the grace of God through Jesus who died on the cross and rose again. If you can share that with me, those four simple truths, you can share that with anybody. Here's the other side of that. If somebody comes to me and they say, well, pastor, I know I'm a Christian, but I don't think I know enough to share the gospel. If you can't share with me those four things, I'm going to question whether or not you're a believer in Christ. Because if you, if you cannot articulate and understand that you're a sinner, Christ died for your sin, Christ rose again so that you could be saved, and you put your faith and trust in him and him alone for your salvation, if you can't articulate that, then you're probably not saved in the first place. So if you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you know enough of the story to tell others. And if you know enough of the story to tell others, you've been commanded of God to tell others. You have been given the mission. Just as John the Baptist had a very singular, simple mission, you've been given that mission. And whether that mission is to tell to, to, to share with your, your unsaved spouse or your children or your grandchildren or your friends or your parents or your neighbors or whoever it is that God puts in your pathway, you have a mission given to you by God. You, are, you don't belong to yourself, you belong to him and you have a ministry that's been given to you by God that you need to humbly share. If, if you start trying to share the gospel in arrogance, it's gonna turn off everybody. So humbly but boldly share the truth of the gospel. Always, 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 as John did, pointing to Jesus. John always pointed back to Jesus. In fact, that's what you see happening here. I came to do this, but he's gonna come to do this. And then when Jesus comes on the scene, John looks at him and says, there he is! Even to the extent that what we're gonna see next week Two of John's followers are recorded in the next verse after we finished reading, looked at him, and when John said, hey, there's the Messiah, they said, well, see you later, John. 
And they wouldn't follow Jesus. John gave up his own followers because he didn't want them following him. They were to be following God. They were returning to, returning to God, turning toward God. And when the Messiah came on the scene, he pointed them to Jesus. Far too many of us feel comfortable with our own followers. I think there's a whole lot of famous pastors that are so excited about growing their kingdom that they've forgotten that they've been called to grow the kingdom of God and to point people to Jesus. I don't want your praise. I want to point you to Jesus so that you praise him. I'm not worthy of your praise. He's worthy of your praise. We talked about this when we, we talked about the, the Trinity a little bit because, you know, John's gospel here talks about how Jesus was from the beginning and, and here we see the expression of the Trinity right here in this text. Jesus is, is coming up. He's going to be baptized. The Spirit of God is going to descend on him as a dove and the Heavenly Father is going to point and say, hey, that's the guy. And so you see the voice of the Father, the, the ascension and the, and the resting of the Spirit upon the Son of God. And you see the Son of God all in this text. And though I don't fully understand the Trinity, one of the cool things that we see happen is just as John pointed to Jesus, Scripture says one of these days every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to that Jesus Christ is Lord, not to the dismay of God the Father, but to the glory of God the Father. That somehow the name of Jesus is, is worthy of our praise and worship. And so John, from the very beginning, points people to Jesus. So we ought not be pointing people to ourselves or pointing people to our theology or pointing people to our philosophical ideas. We ought to be pointing people to Jesus. He's the only one with the power to save anyway. He is their hope. He is their salvation. And so then John points to Jesus, was Jesus is coming up there in verse 29. And what we, we can also learn from here a little bit about Jesus' ministry. Now, I'm going I'm to confess to you, there's a whole lot more to Jesus' ministry than what we see here in John. We're going to stick to the text. What do we learn from John about the ministry of Christ in these words? First, in verse 29, we learn that Jesus is the Lamb of God. See, that would have really shaken many of the Jewish leaders. Because many of them were looking for the Messiah to come riding in on a white horse to be a political powerhouse who was going to help them overthrow whatever government it was that was threatening them at that day. And he was going to be their leader. He was going to give them a, a position of, of authority. He was going to rebuild the nation. And it was going to come back to its heights. There's a time when Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back the second time, the way he re returns and what he's going to accomplish is going to far exceed anything that any of those Jewish leaders could have ever imagined, okay? But the first time that Jesus showed up on the scene physically, Scripture says he was going to come as a sacrificial lamb. In fact, the same prophet Isaiah who told us about John also said in Isaiah 53, 7, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to slaughter, and like a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. John, unlike the religious scholars of his day, understood that the Messiah was going to come as a sacrificial lamb. And so when he saw Jesus coming, his first words were, look, the Lamb of God. If John didn't understand that, he, he could have just as easily said, behold, the Lion of Judah, who Jesus also was. 
But in his first time on this earth, Jesus came as the Lamb of God. Jesus came so that he could die for your sins and my sin. Jesus said it himself, I have came to seek and to save those who are lost. Jesus came to die for the sins of the world. I believe that this passage reminds us that Jesus shed his blood for all of our sin. He died that my sin could be forgiven. He died that your sin could be forgiven. He died for the sin of Peter and John and James, and he died for the sins of those who have not been born yet. Jesus shed his blood on the cross and died for the sins of the world. Now that does not mean that the whole world is saved. <laughs> that does not mean that the whole world is gonna gain eternal life. Because scripture also teaches very clearly that unless you are willing, unless you put your faith and trust in the blood of Christ that was shed for you on the cross, and you choose him as your savior, you'll die in your sin. There's a whole lot of people, in fact, scripture teaches that there's gonna be more people who reject Christ than accept that gift of eternal life. If you're here hearing the message today, whether you're online or whether you're seating in the, seated in the, seating, sitting in this auditorium, I had a hard time getting that one out, didn't I? Uh, you've heard, the, you know the truth. Jesus died on a cross and shed his blood for your sin. You have a choice of what you're gonna do with that. You're either gonna, first, you're gonna believe that yes, he did, or you're gonna say, no, nah, I don't buy into that. So you're gonna believe God's word. And second, you have to choose then what you're gonna do with that. Are you gonna, in, in, in your life, are you gonna make a decision to say, you know what? Yes, he died for my sin, and I wanna put my faith and trust in Christ for my eternal life and I wanna follow him. If you choose to do that, there's a lot of promises that come your way. If you reject Christ, scripture says very clearly that you'll be separated from God for eternity. Jesus' purpose, John says, the Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. And then the last thing he tells us about Jesus is Jesus came to give us new life. And this is where John really separated his ministry from Jesus' ministry. John basically said, look, I came and I baptized with water. I'm preaching repentance and I'm telling you that you need to turn away from your sin. That's what repentance means, to turn away from your sin. And if you're willing to confess that you wanna turn away from your sin, I'll baptize you with water, symbolic of that fact that you're willing to turn away from your sin. But that's all I can do. I can't give you life. And later on, we're gonna learn that, that in Christ, He's going to send his spirit who will dwell within those who have repented and turned toward him as he washes their sins away and he'll give them eternal life. He'll transform them forever. And so in Christ, John says, you're not only going to, going to repent and, and have your sins washed away, you're going to receive the spirit who's going to give you life. And so he says, this is what I told you about. After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me, existed before me. I didn't know him, but I came baptized with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and he rested on him. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, the one you see the spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. 
I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. And I believe what Jesus teaches very clearly when we get into the rest of the Gospel of John, and we'll see it in John chapter 3, so you won't have to wait too long, that when you put your faith and trust in Christ, you are born anew, you are given new life, and he sends his spirit to dwell with you and within you. And at that moment, you're not just struggling on this earth to continue in repentance, but you've received new life so that you can live above your sin, so that you can walk in a relationship with a living God. And so the message of Jesus that John points to is, yes, in Christ, he's come to take away the sins of the world, but beyond that, he's going to give you life that's lasting and that's eternal through his Holy Spirit.